lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Happy Friday. Welcome aboard the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre are here with me, as is our good friend, Chris Pandolfo. He'll be joining us in a moment for the Dace Group. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. Try liking us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Parlor at Steve Dace. We are very close to getting up to 10,000 followers there on Parlor. so thank you very much. You can also check out our new YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. By now, you know the normal routine on a Friday. We are going to delve into the stevedace.com inbox a little bit later on next hour uh, in order to find out uh, what you think about what we think. So we'll do that next hour. But before we get to all of that, we begin with the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was, and there he is, Harry Potter. I haven't done that one in a while. Sorry. Brought to yeah, you by. I wore these glasses just for you, Steve. Did you? Yeah, well, you know, I've got a I Harry did. Potter yeah. glass fetish. So thank you, Chris, for exercising my kink. I appreciate Too much it. Information. Yeah, I know. But everybody's here. We could call this show TMI, as a matter of fact. That's kind of why everybody's here. What awkward. It, I wish it was my insightful commentary, but really is. What awkward revelation about himself will Steve unveil next? Like yesterday was my greatest shame, right? Correct. Now you know I totally dig Chris Pandolfo's Harry Potter glasses. Uh, the Dace Group is brought to you by friends over at Rough Grange. You know, one of the things that makes me happy as a dog owner myself is being able to take care of our pet Cap's health and happiness needs, provided they're not too expensive. Uh, these needs are in my hands, and at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of my responsibility to give Cap what he wants, provided he gives me what I want, which is a really cute dog that will cuddle with me. Um, that's why I love Rough Greens so much and why I highly recommend that you get it for your dog as well because just like us, dogs have all sorts of complex nutritional needs. They need vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, probiotics, omega oils, things that they would get in the wild if they weren't domesticated but which are left out of a lot of their regular foods these days. For example, if your dog likes the kibble food, that would be a dead food. It may taste great, but it's been sterilized of all those things for a long shelf life. But Rough Greens isn't a dog food. It's a supplement that you know you use for your dog like we use for us. That's why we're taking supplements these days. And you sprinkle it on your pet's food and it's full of all the things that will make your dog healthier and happier. Plus, apparently it tastes great as well. Our dog Cap loves this stuff and you can take the Rough Greens 14-day Jumpstart Challenge today for just $14.95 and see the difference in your dog in 14 days or less when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. Let us begin with issue one. Bleep, Democrats say. Sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with their allies in the Congress of the United States. Shoot me, Shoot me, It's really actually shameful. Enemies of the state. Shoot me, 
He just keep pouring fuel on the fire. He's encouraging this. He's not diminishing it at all. This is his America now. And you want to end where we are now, we've got to end his tenure as president. Put the mask on now, huh? seeing, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha, Wisconsin, over the course of the night. A second night since Jacob Blake was seen shot in the back seven times by a police officer. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action. So our focus today cannot be on basketball. Guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. Rallies, political rallies where no one's masking. Last night, people were hooting and hollering and cheering with no masks. We know that that is a spreader type event when you're, when you're actually raising your voice, you're singing or yelling. So why they're tolerating this when a lot of people are watching, it's just harming public health and any efforts at control. They are not doing right by the American people by, by, by putting on events like this. I wish that when we went into lockdown, we looked like Italy. But when Italy locked down, I mean, people weren't allowed out of their houses and they couldn't come out but once every two weeks to buy groceries for one hour and they had to have a certificate that said they were allowed. Americans don't react well to that kind of prohibition. He has no plan and he's killing Americans right now and killing our economy. I think it's such a contrast between two people who have a heart and experience yeah. that this country needs and a man who has neither. Killing Americans is, is a strong phrase there. Since you asked about that, I myself just don't tell anybody I told you this, especially don't tell Joe Biden. I don't think that there should be any debates. I do not think that the president of the United States has comported himself in a way that anybody should, and has any association with truth, evidence, data, and facts. I wouldn't. I wouldn't legitimize a conversation with him. I got to tell you, man, watching that montage, it's made, you guys ever get like a really bad itch on your forehead and you have to scratch it from a really awkward angle? That montage made my forehead itch. How about yours, Todd? A little bit. Love Mine's it. been itching since last night, though. Yeah, I understand that. So let's get to the first <laughs> I don't question. I really know what to think about that. What was your favorite ride on the crazy train this week? Chris Pandolfo, as the guest, you get to go first. Okay. Um, not my favorite, but I think the one that's only worth talking about is Nancy Pelosi and the things that she said. So let's get this straight. The president of the United States is not worth talking to. And remember, he's an elected representative. He's representative of the people who voted for him and the whole country, but most of the people who voted for him. So what she's really saying is the, the people he represents are not worth debating. They're not worth having a dialogue with. And also they are the enemies of the state and they're domestic enemies. You know, every elected official takes a constitutional oath to protect America from enemies foreign and domestic. What she's essentially saying without saying it directly is you know, if she really believes that, she has a constitutional duty to oppose us with, you know, the threat of government violence because she's calling us enemies of the state. So th th that shows you the heart of where the Democratic Party is right now. 
and that's coming from its leadership. Forget the violent radicals burning down cities in their base. The leadership of the party thinks we're the enemy of the state. So I don't see how you can have a country or dialogue with people who think like that. Agreed. Uh, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's disgustingly irresponsible for any elected official to talk like that. And I'm speechless, honestly. I just think, Chris, we ought to just take this at face value. They don't intend to have a dialogue with you. Right. And, and you know, I've used this metaphor before. I am this close to becoming fully Kurt Schlichterized, man. Last week, it was about this close. This week, man, the fingers are about to touch, okay? Because <laughs> I understand what happens. I lived through what happens when you have a civil war in your own home. And that's what we're talking about here. And, and even if the person provoking you deserves some wrath, there's a lot of collateral damage that goes into that situation. I mean, our, our family is still digging out from the fallout of that. And it's been almost 20 years. Um, but eventually, but at some point, you have to just, when, when the provoker lets you know over and over and over and over again, you have little value to them other than your subservience. Yeah, you cannot have your own opinion. You cannot dispute any of their claims, even peacefully, constructively, like, hey, are you sure you want to go down this road? Have you considered enough? Nope. That the only option on the table for you is kneel before Zod. Then you're left with no option other than civil war it is then, I guess. And, and I think, man, if we're not there, sadly... Chris, I, I think we're a step or two away. This isn't, I know you're younger. Todd and I have been around the block a few more times, approaching the age of 50 now. This is not typical election year rhetoric, man. No. Not even, not even when we were always racist, misogynistic, homophobic bigots. There would always be somewhat, but we have to respect the process, you know, expect, express, respect elections and outcomes, let people have their... There's... They're letting you know, aren't they? Oh, yes. That there, there is, there's not a place here for you. There's not a place here for you. I know that sucks. I know it does. I know it makes some of you feel like, I don't want to have to vote for people that I think are immoral, don't belong in the office, and don't make me proud to hold it. I get it totally. But you need to understand, they're speaking plainly. Plainly, there is no place for you at their end. And they will put a boot and anything else they can attach to it to the throat. And unfortunately, a lot of our friends and family don't want to admit this and think they can just vote for these people to get Orange Man bad out of the office and things will go back to normal. And they're lying to themselves. Todd. Just briefly to comment on Pelosi, the, honestly, it, the only thing that she's missing now is a coat made out of Dalmatian puppies. It, 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 is, it is remarkable how she is just owning the evil henchwoman thing. Uh, so 
take that for what it's worth. I think CNN times two. I mean, it it's we're used to having one colossal journalism is magical and not at all broken, but to have two, to have miss so wide right on the exact same topic, one of them, f- what fiery but mostly peaceful, and also we can't have fiery but mostly peaceful anymore from Don Lemon only because the polling says. It's not happening. Yeah, it was totally fine to destroy property. Yeah. Kill a police officer. um, Send how many others to the hospital? It was totally fine to do that until the polling showed that it was helping Donald Trump. I mean, can you... Is that not just further evidence of what I just said? Of course, it should give you more faith in the polling, though. (laughs) There's the silver lining. It's, I mean, if they're they're actually pulling back because of that. Uh, If this is a a local rate... Local... Local sports radio here every once in a while I bring it up. The guy was complaining these these sports bros they were complaining about how politics all it is is full of propaganda but they trust the uh, news coming out of uh, the NBA and ESPN. I there's just a level of zombieism out there. It speaks to what Steve said. Hey, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you, you you need to have your head in a swivel at all times. We are in the middle of a civil war. I can't say it uh, better than Steve did. And said, There's no place for you in many circles in the minds of a lot of human beings. Look what happened last night with people, tri- white and black, trying to get home from the RNC, walking on the streets in uh, Washington, D.C. And remember, when I said about when the, I don't think, Donald Trump said last night, you know, just call and we'll come help you in these Democrat cities. Well, they're they're just not going to call. But in D.C., that's where it could happen the most, right there. We may yet see it before this election if that continues to go down. Aaron, quickly, what was your favorite? Uh, it's the Don Lemon thing, because not because it's ha-ha-ha, CNN is stupid again. It's because it's a heart into the uh, soul of the progressive mindset. So all of the looting, all of the vandalism, all of the violence, all of the killing that has been done over the last over the last few months on the streets of American cities, that doesn't matter. That does not matter. That doesn't move the needle in their book whatsoever. The thing that does move the needle in in their book is whether or not that actually is disrupting their pursuit of power. Power. Because in the progressive mindset, there is no up, there is no down. There's no left, there's no right. There's no history, there's no future. There's no present, there's no past. There is nothing except for power and the will to obtain it. And that's all that is. That's what that clip is. Yep. Exit question on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being as dormant as Lindsey Graham's Tinder account and 10 being as active and robust as Mitt Romney's Etsy account. Rank this week's level of total depravity, Aaron. 10. Todd. 10. Chris. 100. Issue 2, the GOP convention. The Republican National Convention reached its culmination last night with President Trump accepting his party's nomination once again. My fellow Americans, tonight with a heart full of gratitude and boundless optimism. I profoundly accept this nomination for President of the United States. In a new term as president, we will again build the greatest economy in history, quickly returning to full employment, soaring incomes, and record prosperity. In addition, we obliterated 
100% of the ISIS caliphate and killed its founder and leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Then, in a separate operation, we eliminated the world's number one terrorist by far, Qasim Soleimani, who makes sure our companies and jobs stay in our country, as I've already been doing for quite some time, if you've noticed. Joe Biden's agenda is made in China. My agenda is made in the USA. Biden is a Trojan horse for socialism. If Joe Biden doesn't have the strength to stand up to wild-eyed Marxists like Bernie Sanders and his fellow radicals, and there are many, there are many, many, we see them all the time, it's incredible actually, then how is he ever going to stand up for you? He's not. They will make every city look like Democrat-run Portland, Oregon. No one will be safe in Biden's America. My administration will always stand with the men and women of law enforcement. This is the unifying national agenda that will bring our country together. So tonight I say to all Americans, this is the most important election in the history of our country. There has never been such a difference between two parties or two individuals in ideology, philosophy, or vision than there is right now. Our opponents believe that America is a depraved nation. We want our sons and daughters to know the truth. America is the greatest and most exceptional nation in the history of the world. All right, first question, looking at the convention as a whole, or if you just want to look at his speech last night, you have the platform, do what you'd like. But on a scale of one to 10, with one representing the size of Don Lemon's audience and 10 representing the size of Tucker Carlson's, how much do you think this week's convention helped to boost Trump's reelect, Todd? 10. I, I, it's the most inspiring uh convention as a whole I remember in my entire lifetime. The speech, wow. the speech was actually just serviceable he's had better speeches in recent but it wasn't bad it actually kind of by default did what i hoped it would do it just would ride the coattails of the the way the table was set Mm -hmm. but he 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 did a good version of bane i give it back to you the people the common man spoke at that convention it was brilliant aaron I was going to go the same way. I was trying to put my finger on why it was so inspirational and i i think it's because of this reason Uh, mainly. And and to answer your question, I'm giving it like an 8.5 or 9. Because Donald Trump, even though he was talked about a lot, he wasn't really the star of the show. The star of the show was the Kentucky Attorney General, Burgess Owens, um, the uh, uh, Madison Cawthorn from North Carolina, I believe, who stood up even though he's in a a wheelchair. The, The widow of David Dorn, It was them. It was them, their words, their stories, mainly, that were the stars of the show this week at the convention. And along with those, of course, they talked about Trump, but it was more along the lines of he's with us instead of we're with him. That's a huge difference. 
that's where the inspiration comes from. That's where the this is not a typical convention where it's just rah rah team GOP. There's always going to be some of that, but this is where it diverged because it's usually well we need need to get behind him. Think about 2016. The fight was uh, we don't want him versus you need to get behind him. This year it struck the tone of he's with us. When you heard about when you heard all of these stories from all of these various in, in, individuals and their and their um, sometimes heartbreaking stories, but it was inspirational because it wasn't a matter of get behind a Republican nominee, uh, go team GOP. It was he's with us, and I think that's the tone that was struck all week. Maybe if David Dorn had pointed a gun at a woman's stomach. Um, and had a warrant out for a sexual assault charge, maybe some sports teams would have canceled their practices or games for him. Don't know what you're talking about. Maybe, maybe the Baltimore Ravens would have released a statement saying, let's, let's get rid of qualified immunity. And let's face it, most of that organization had Google what that was, by the way. Uh, but let, let's get rid of the ability of cops to uh, deal with the most dangerous situations unfettered. Because apparently they never saw an episode of The Wire. No one ever with the Baltimore Ravens. So maybe if maybe if David Dorn had done one of those two things, he was wanted for sexual assault, pointed a gun at a woman's stomach. Maybe he would have gotten some boycotts or uh, some murals. Chris, what about you? This uh, convention, in, in terms of political messaging, I think is the best thing the Republican Party has ever done, has ever put forward. Uh, they contrast with the Democratic Party, where the Democrats are talking all week with their convention about how racist America is, how structurally it needs to be fundamentally transformed, how the president's a Nazi, how we have to get him out of office, how we have to radically change things. And Trump, his convention, the Republican Party, defended the basic goodness of America. And they used ordinary Americans to do it. They did. The ratio to politicians to having just people who Trump, the Trump administration has helped speak was, I think, exactly right. They had more just Americans speak than politicians. They had people who say, you know, I'm a lobster fisherman. This is how President Trump's policies helped me. You know, I'm a civil rights activist. This is why I think President Trump is better for black people in America. That sort of messaging is something that the GOP has never done before, at least that I can remember. And I think is the most, and the other thing too, is they finally are telling good stories. Agree. Yes, I agree with you. They're, they're not just like reading blanket white paper policy proposals. There, this whole convention was America. what I wanted them to do after the 2016 election to repeal Obamacare. Where are the everyday doctors, nurses, the the nurse practitioners, the people on the front lines of this healthcare system that were that were that were hamstrung by Obamacare? Where were the small business owners, the mid-sized business owners, laying people off, getting rid of benefits because they can't afford the mandates? This is this is what I wanted them to do when they after they got power in 2016 and they did not and they actually did it this entire week at this convention Chris yes and so uh, this is what I'm like struggling to wrap my mind around I'm listening to this messaging for the Republican Party and I'm listening to the Democratic Party and they're basically America sucks message and we have to get Trump out of the White House because he's a disaster and I'm thinking to myself the Democrats message does not resonate with the American people. I think most Americans still think America's good. I agree. They I do. think most Americans still. Think I don't think most Americans are right wingers, but most Americans Americans still want to believe yeah. in America. I agree with that. They, they want they want to have law and order. They want yeah. to be safe in their homes. They want to send their kids to school. They want to open their businesses and have an economy that runs and functions. And so I look at the messaging between the two parties, and I don't see how the Democrat messaging can win versus this messaging. And on the other hand, I'm looking at all the data. In this environment where we have cities being burned down and the economy is still 
it's in a recession. We are in a recession right now, and no incumbent president usually wins under these circumstances. So how, how do you reconcile the two? So I think this week, this, this next week, we're going to get an answer to a key question. And, or, or a potential answer to a key question, then the ultimate answer will come on election day itself. Because the, the, the level of discipline in the messaging, as all you guys have articulated, all right? I mean, I think this is the first time in the Trump presidency, except maybe the day they moved the embassy, Aaron, that you have associated the word inspirational with anything associated with Donald Trump. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rare, okay? So... Uh, if if there is not a significant, and I don't, I think we maybe have to define what significant means, because you, the audience will be diminished by its the virtual aspect of it, obviously. Okay, so I'm not talking like ten points or something, but if there is not a significant shift in the polling next week, I mean like three to five points, comprehensively, in battleground states and on a national basis, I think that's a fair, you know, account for the. The polarization that we're at right now account for the the virtual audience diminishing, uh, or the virtual presence diminish, diminishing the audience much of the week. Perhaps we saw that with the DNC. Now Trump had an in store or in house audience last night, and with all the sports teams canceling and 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 false uh, TV seasons not back yet, he had the whole country basically to himself. So I don't know what the ratings for last night's were. I will tell you, calling according to the Daily Caller. The NBA broadcast about canceling games had 190,000 people tune in on TNT. And Tucker Carlson that night had 5.85 million viewers, one of the largest audiences he's ever had. So if there's not some significant bounce next week in the polling, then one of two things is true, and we'll get the ultimate answer when the American people speak on Election Day. A, um, the same... The polling, finally, they've tried over the years to keep the polling isolated from their opinion. But that just means now that that's no longer the case. The polling in and of itself is all a scam. And just throw it out of all of your analysis. Or B, um, the country is just much further gone than we thought. And even with, I mean, guys, if you look at the contrast between the convention the Democrats had four years ago and this year, it's like they're another political party. I mean, go look at, do you guys remember how mad I was watching that convention last, last time around? When, when Hillary went to the right. I mean, yes, yes, it was all, they were handing out constitutions, waving flags. It couldn't be more patriotic, man. And, and, for, and, and, and they have done a 180 and literally just taken the mask off and say, yes, we are the ghouls that these right-wingers warned you about all this time. If that still wins and the data isn't, isn't broken or corrupted, then the country is. And I think... Post-election, we have to adjust our strategy accordingly. But I think we get the answer to that if there's not a significant boost in the polls next week. We'll get our ultimate answer to which of those two choices, Chris. It is come election day. you got 30 seconds to give me an answer on that. Uh, nothing to say. I think that sums it up nicely. All right. Let's get to the exit question then. True or false? Nothing that happened at either party's convention will have any bearing on the outcome, come November 3rd. That's Nate Silver at 538's assessment uh, today. And normally, you know, I, he likes to play trends and precedents, and I would agree with him. I just think we're in unprecedented times. Take a drink. But does that still stand? 
Two weeks from now, we won't remember any of this. Nothing that happened at these conventions will have any bearing on the outcome November 3rd. True or false, Todd? False, based on Trump's play for the black vote. 20 seconds quantify what that means. It's one of the boldest maneuvers in the face of what's going on with BLM. It's one of the boldest political maneuvers in all of, in all of modern American political history to go for it in this moment. Okay. Chris, what do you think? True or false? Uh, false. I, I don't think you can look at these two messages and these two competing visions for what America is and not be influenced by what one party's saying versus the other. Aaron. False, because if you look at the flip side of that, if you bombed, if either of these uh, parties bombed, absolutely bombed their convention, that would make a difference. Um, so that's look even looking at the flip side of it. So false, even just a little bit. Yeah, I think it's false, too, because you the, the contrasting visions like I don't remember a time of, of this level of vision contrast. You know, Michael Dukakis talked about raising taxes and Mike and George W. H. W. Bush said, read my lips, no new taxes. There were issue contrasts. But but I mean, there were two separate attempts at terra firma that, that would just shown the American people. I mean, they, these could not be more different. And I just have a hard time believing that that does it. At the very least, it sets a tone for the rest of the way. At the very least, it does that. We'll come back. More of the Dace Group here in a moment. Did you know the average American has about 97 points they can add to their credit score? Yet a lot of us have no idea how we can get there. But that's where ScoreMaster comes in. It's the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. Forget about just raising it a few points. That's kind of weak and won't really do much for you. The average ScoreMaster user can raise their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. I, I, I love this site. And, and what I love about it is it empowers you and I. You go to get a home loan, car loan, or you get an employer doing a background check, and they've got pages and pages and pages, and there's charge-offs and things from 10 years ago, five years ago. You're like, what does any of this mean? And then they don't give you, when they tell you, well, you're a few points short, they don't give you any ideas of how you can get to where you want to go. ScoreMaster does that by laying it all out for you. You're empowered to act and take control of your credit score. And it works if you're a business owner. Same thing for you as well. So whether you're an individual or a business owner, check out ScoreMaster. You can enroll in minutes. See how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your score by visiting scoremaster.com slash Steve. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. Let's get to issue three. Kenosha. Kenosha, Wisconsin, a town that lays equidistant between Milwaukee and Chicago, a picture of Americana in many respects, was turned into a war zone this week after police shot a man named Jacob Blake in the back seven times after responding to a call that he was involved in a domestic incident with a woman he'd previously abused. The video of the event, which went viral, clearly shows Blake not listening or obeying the officer's commands and then reaching into his vehicle before he was shot. 
The Kenosha Police Department later confirmed that Blake had a knife inside the vehicle. That kicked off multiple days of riots and violence on the streets of Kenosha. Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, an armed and fairly unorganized citizen militia took to the streets of the town to defend businesses and property from further damage. That led to three people being shot by 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, who allegedly made his way up from the Chicago area to defend Kenosha. Rittenhouse shot and killed two individuals and injured a third, all in self-defense. The first individual he shot in the head and killed was a man who, according to reports, also tried to rush him while he was vandalizing a car dealership. The now-deceased man was also a registered sex offender. Secondly, Rittenhouse was rushed on the street by another group of individuals, one of whom approached him aggressively with a gun before Rittenhouse blew out a chunk of his upper arm. The other individual was shot in the chest and killed. After that deadly night, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers finally accepted federal law enforcement help from President Trump, and since then, things have been quieter relative to the first couple of nights of violence. But it was just the latest event in a summer full of leftist mob violence. Earlier this week, two videos ostensibly from Washington, D.C. went viral, showing a mob of Black Lives Matter terrorists accosting patrons at diners and bullying them into making fists in the air to show solidarity. When the individuals they accosted would not do that, well, it got ugly. But last night, after the final night of the Republican National Convention came to a close, the streets outside of the White House turned into a scene from a third world country as multiple attendees of the RNC were mobbed by Black Lives Matter terrorists, including Senator Rand Paul, who attracted a mob of upwards of 50 to 60 people. Paul, who in recent years has survived being shot at on a baseball field, got his ribs broken by a disgruntled neighbor, got COVID earlier this year, and has authored a law named after Breonna Taylor, talked about the experience this morning on Fox News. They all of a sudden saw me right as we got to the policeman, fortunately, or I don't think we'd have survived. I whispered to the policeman, they know who I am. You've got to get reinforcements. It's going to get worse. He called for reinforcements, but we didn't get any reinforcements. We waited, but the crowd was getting bigger and bigger and pushing in. Uh, they were yelling threats. They were trying to push the police over to get to me. They were grabbing at us. And if we become Portland, if America becomes Portland, what's going to happen yeah. is people are going to be pummeled and kicked in the head and and left senseless on the curb. That would have happened to us. I promise you, had we not had the D.C. police to support us, I mean, we are thankful that we have police, right. and we've got to wake up. I want to discuss that Rand Paul video for a second, because I, you know, Aaron used the term third world. I think that Rand Paul video is right out of the third world. Here you have a politician who's already had COVID, by the way, so um, we actually kind of need him out breathing the free air but he's wearing a mask. He's reduced to wearing a mask outside like this is some kind of Ebola plague when it's not. Meanwhile, he's being tormented and threatened by unruly mobs of insurgents. That's right out of the third world, folks. I mean, this this used to be America. It's not anymore. I'm starting to think it may never be again. And I can assure you, if those responsible for pushing this violent and extremist leftist ideology, if they are incentivized with electoral success come November, it may not be. They will be taught that mobocracy wins. And I think at this point, you spare me your opinions of Trump. I don't care if you don't like him. And neither do the insurgents. And, and, and really, they don't care if you don't like Trump. If you love freedom, regardless of your views on him, uh, they're making it clear that they hate you. And they're not going away if Trump does. There are plenty of days that Donald Trump annoys me aplenty. I fought him all the way to the last delegate. I was in the Free the Delegates movement four years ago.
I fought him to the last delegate four years ago. I didn't vote for him four years ago. He's not the lead story here, though. The lead story is this bottom line truth, in my opinion. Every leftist endgame that we have ever warned this culture about all of these years is now coming home to roost right now. Right now. The Visigoths are coming over the wall right now as we speak. And that's fine if you detest Caesar. He may even deserve it at times. But you'd be a fool not to recognize what these barbarians, these Visigoths, have in store for you if they are given the power to demonstrate it. Aaron, I'll let you go first. When we said for the last few years, uh, watching the 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 leftist um, ideology and Marxist ideology continue to take ground, but not just take ground, flex. It was funny when we had the screaming Trump inauguration woman, you know, on inauguration day back in 2017. That was funny. No, and it's still funny. I don't care, and I don't think anyone should care if these people that we've seen all of these months came from out of state, were paid protesters. The fact that there is a market for that and seemingly... I think it's even worse. uh, Seemingly a lot of people who are perfectly willing and able to fill that market with product, their product of terrorism, of domestic terrorism, which is what we're talking about here, that that says all you need to know. The very fact that there's a market means that this is real. It's not It's not some sort of, um, well, George Soros is paying for everything. He might, he might be paying some of, these, some of these agitators to come in from elsewhere, but that doesn't, really, that doesn't really matter. And the longer this goes on, the longer this goes on, and the people with the guns, like the Kyle Rittenhouses of the world, they feel like they're not being heard. They see these people darkening their own doorsteps. We, remember, we said this months ago, months ago, when the original riots and looting started happening around the country, this is coming to your suburbs and your streets and your Pleasant Valley Sundays. That's happening now. That's happening now. At least once, twice a week, we hear of somebody darkening the door. Just last night, it was the Seattle, I think, police department or police union's head's house uh, last week. Last week, it was the uh, it, it, it was a WCCO anchor up in up in Minnesota, and her husband, who happens to be the head of the police union up there, they went to that residential neighborhood. If you think that they're going to stop there, I got a lab in Wuhan to sell you, as I'm I'm fond of saying, this is not going to stop. They have declared war on you, and when we when we talked about how it's a cold civil war. And at one point, I can't remember what it was last year, I saw several people on the right, several conservatives say, oh, that's overblown, you're, you're making it. When, when the cold civil war is warm and getting warmer, um, you're going, I'm not saying this, right, uh, right wing watch, it's spelled D-E-A-C-E, by the way, I'm not saying this, you are going to be forced to lock and load, because what does it say in Romans? When it is at all possible, live in peace. 
when Black Lives Matter and Antifa terrorists come and terrorize your cul-de-sac, is it possible to live in peace when they are not acting peacefully? Answer that question yourself. Chris, go. Yeah, uh, we shouldn't be in an America where, you know, it doesn't matter what sort of criminal record the people who got shot by the 17-year-old kid had. You know, we, we shouldn't be living in an America where a 17-year-old shoots people like that, right? But we have to live in that America because these Democratic officials in these cities that are allowing this criminal activity to take place are not enforcing the law. And so when government abjures its duty, when it neglects to do its duty, which is to enforce the law, to protect people's rights, to make sure that they're safe and happy and have the opportunity for prosperity in their homes. When they don't do that, you cease to have a government. And so what you have is anarchy. And everyone becomes a law unto themselves, and they have to take their own law in their hands. And the more we continue to let the riots continue, the more people are going to say, I have to take the law into my own hands. Mm -hmm. So you want the violence to stop on both sides, you have to enforce the law. Yep. You don't enforce the law, you don't have a government, you don't have a civil society, and more people are gonna get hurt. Todd. Yeah, uh, America is Sean Connery laying on the ground right now, asking men everywhere, what are you prepared to do? Uh, let's uh, set aside for a second the fact that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is is from out of town, even though that's all irrelevant, considering that in Kenosha they issued a police report talking about multiple buses mm -hmm. that were found bringing people in with all kinds of weapons of war. So I don't care how far Kyle uh, came away from. But let's set that aside for a second. If Kyle Rittenhouse was from Kenosha right there, and I know what you were trying to say, Chris, when you said we shouldn't live in a world where a 17 has you said, but I'm going to turn that around. You're damn right we should live in a world where a 17-year-old defends his backyard from a terrorist foreign and domestic if no one else will. That's what we're dealing with. What are you prepared to do in the face of this? That's Kenosha, Wisconsin. From that place I grew up in, I could drive there in less than two hours. All right, it's not Beirut, but it sure as hell looks like it is. Everybody, what are you prepared to do? Exit question. True or false? These will all go away if Joe Biden wins. Todd. False. Chris. False. Aaron. False. Agreed. Agreed. Um, stay with me for issue four. And it's, it, it, let's talk about convention speeches. If either party gave you five minutes to say anything you wanted at their convention, which party would you choose and what would you talk about? Chris. I'd choose the RNC and I'd talk about the proper role of government. This, this election is different. We don't have two competing visions of policies and a united belief that America is good and that our founding principles are that we're all created equal and we have inalienable rights. It's out the window because a group of radical revolutionaries believe that they need to use violence and rioting and looting, burning buildings and attacking people to achieve their political aims, which is not just winning an election, but it's a fundamental transformation of the country. And one political party, the Democratic Party, has given their assent to this because they're not enforcing the law in the cities that they control with their mayors. The state governors, these executive offices, are not requesting federal law enforcement to stop the violence. They've abandoned their duty to the American people, their God-appointed duty to punish wickedness and reward righteousness. Instead, we see the Democratic Party endorse things in their platform like abortion, 
the killing of a human life right up until the point of birth. Instead, they endorse things like prohibiting people to go to church because of a virus, but letting casinos open, and discriminating against people's religious beliefs because they don't happen to agree with those religious beliefs. So they're not defending American people's rights to live in safety and happiness. They're not defending people's American rights to constitutional rights to life and to the freedom of speech. Chris is going to take all you guys' time. Go ahead and finish, Chris. (laughs) And so what you have in this country is one party that refuses to govern and demands the highest executive office in the land, and another party that says, no, we're going to defend your rights. And that's not what America is and not what America should be. And the choice is going to be up to you which America we have. Todd, 30 seconds. Yeah, Chris gave us his whole five-minute speech. It was good, though. Go ahead. I'd go to uh, the DNC and ask them why David Dorn's Black Life uh, doesn't matter and other black lives if they get killed by black lives, just like I did last night before I got suspended on Twitter. Aaron. Uh, I would go, I, just because I think uh, the DNC is so far gone, their base is so far gone, I, I don't, I, I would speak at the RNC, and uh, I would say, the gist of my speech would be, um, I would say, if you want to stop losing ground to the left, even though you keep winning elections, I would name names, and I would say, stop voting for the Mitch McConnells, John Cornyns, at all of the world. Okay. Let's get to our predictions. Todd, go ahead. After what I saw go on with Rand Paul, there's no way we're going to get through Election Day, particularly on Election Day, without violence at the polling places. I think you're right. That just makes me sad and disgusted, and a, a lot of the and a lot of both at the same time. Aaron, I changed mine because it was too too much like that one. I, I, because of my predi- prediction a couple of two three weeks ago regarding not, uh, all the Power Five teams not missing a game, that was so horrifically bad. I'm going to do some reverse psychiatry here, reverse psychology here, and I'm saying that Big Ten football will never play another game for the rest of human history. Chris. The violence and rioting will continue through the election and past it. And if President Trump wins and he's not up for election again, he's going to send in the federal troops to stop it, regardless of what the I agree with her. I, I think he will do what Bush did in 04, where he just let Fallujah run rampant, afraid of the blowback. And then five minutes after the election, the Marines went in and just started stacking body bags. I could see that. I, I could see that. Um, January is going to be the absolute latest, the Big Ten plays its first football game it is losing the pr war horribly having its attorney go into a nebraska court yesterday and say that transparency would do the big 10 much harm and then it's followed up with the news today that there's a conference call where coaches are being told to be ready to go late in the fall if you're going to start thanksgiving if i'm ohio state i'm not taking that i'm like hey other leagues are still playing we can make the playoff I mean, why don't we just start the 1st of October? Our kids are up here. They've been in shape. We do a four-week camp in September, and we do the first weekend in October. January will be the absolute latest the first Big Ten football game takes place. And God bless those Big Ten parents for not listening to the experts. Amen. Chris, good to see you again, as always, brother. Good luck at the Quidditch match. Thanks for having me on, Steve. (laughs) All right. Feedback Friday is next. Yes, you've endured all the way to the end. You might as well stick it out here for one final hour of the Steve Day Show. And then you can say, folks, I did I did my suffering for the week. I endured an entire week of the Steve Day Show. In fact, it wasn't even a week. We weren't here Monday, right? 
Right. So it's only it's only four days. Come on. I dare you to stick around. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over at Parlor at Steve Dace over there. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is our new YouTube channel. If you are a Blaze TV pod, or I'm sorry, if you are a Blaze podcast listener we appreciate you every bit as much as we do our other kinds of viewers and listeners and subscribers but could you please do us a couple of favors number one uh, hit that subscribe button wherever you choose to podcast us from that would be great and then number two if you haven't done this already and heck maybe even if you have do it again Uh, leave us a five-star review for the show that's if you like us now, we'd never encourage you to lie, but we ain't too proud to beg for some embellishment. I mean, if you kind of like the show, kind of just go all in then, right? But the more of those five-star reviews we get, the more it helps the show to grow. So thank you, all of you that have done that for us already. Let's get to some Feedback Friday brought to you by Simply Safe. Now, here's the thing about home security companies. Most trap you with high prices, tricky contracts, lousy customer service. So while there are a lot of options out there, to me, there's one no-brainer idea. It's simply safe. And here's what I love about it. It's really cool. Um, I can flip the camera on on the kids when Amy and I are out to find out what's going on. I like that. I like that. It's kind of a dad move. And then I don't even tell them that, I'm, that I was watching. Okay. And you know what that makes you? And this is really going to be... Uh, cool for you. A great American. It, it makes you crafty. A crafty, yes. You've always wanted to I've be. I've always wanted to be crafty, yes. Speaking of that, um, I could even put Simply Safe together. All right. I mean, it, it is simple. I put it together in like five minutes. Okay, maybe it was seven or eight. But it was pretty, it was even for me. It, it didn't take much work at all. And the other thing I love about it too, uh, not some punitive long-term contract. All of these are why um, the re- are reasons why Simply Safe was voted by U.S. News and World Report the best overall home security system of 2020, and you can get plans starting for as low as just 15 bucks a month. So why not try it today? Try Simply Safe today at Simply Safe. It's S I M P L I, by the way. SimplySafe.com/slash/truthbombs, and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Won't cost you anything for two months if you don't like it. All right, 60-day risk-free trial. There's nothing to lose at simplysafe.com slash truthbombs. Simplysafe.com slash truthbombs. Before we delve into the inbox, remember when I said on this show, was it a week or so ago, and I said I had an epiphany about what is going on in college football. And what is going on, I said, in college football is what would have happened if Trump and 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 all the Republican governors were basically Christino, all right. If Trump and the Republican governors had be had had officially become the party of reopen. Now, the good news is the Republicans are the party of reopen. Now they have they have no alternative. The Democrats have just taken all the oxygen out of the lockdown for Ev's space. I mean. Last week, Joe Biden was like, we need to lock everything down again. Today, he's running ads about empty sports stadiums, okay? Um, but the Democrats have made it clear they're not leaving you any room on, on, on the lockdown side. So the Republicans, by default now, it's just a matter of how well they embrace that moniker, but by default now, they are the party of reopen. But what if they had been so all summer long? What would have happened? And I've, I've talked before about... Go look at what happened around Memorial Day and the week right after. 
So the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, Gavin Newsom, the California governor, please recall, was on Jake Tapper's show on CNN saying the schools in California are never reopening ever again without a vaccine. And this was right around the time that the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, had said, hey, we're reopening for sports, college and pro sports teams. If your state won't reopen, come down to Florida. We'll find we'll find a place for you. Uh, shortly after this, Doug Ducey, the governor of Arizona, reopened his state for college and pro sports again. And I think it was about a week later that Governor Abbott in Texas did the same thing. And then lo and behold, eight days after Gavin Newsom was like, nothing can be bad. Nothing, nothing until a vaccine. Gavin Newsom has a press conference announcing that California will be reopening for college and pro sports teams. And that a little pressure of competition, market forces were brought to bear. Market-wise, they could not afford in the state of California to lose that sports market share to those other states. You saw it, in fact, in the NBA this week. This is it. Season could be done. Players are going to walk. Not going to play anymore. LeBron James walked out of a meeting and the Lakers voted to, his Lakers and the Clippers voted to quit the season. Maybe the two best teams, the NBA, by the way, just voted to quit the season. Next morning, uh, see you on Saturday. Market forces, guys. I mean, they know what the ratings are. They know 190,000 people tuned in to watch TNT and Kenny Smith walk off the set and talk about canceling games. And nearly 6 million people watched Tucker Carlson that same night on Fox. Maybe the biggest audience he's ever had. Market forces work when we allow them to. But see, for market forces to work, I loved working at WHO Radio. It was a great place to work, and I worked with great people. I was also underpaid. I made $85,000 a year for a show that billed almost $2 million a year. And since it was just me on the show, right? It was a solo show, right? So who is responsible for the billing? Me. I mean, I, I was not even making 10% of what the show billed. Now, I can live nice in Des Moines, Iowa for 85 grand a year. It wasn't like we were like, you know, bring out your dead in the streets of the, in the harsh streets of Des Moines. Okay, we had a nice life, but I was way underpaid. I wasn't even making 10% of what the show built. Here's the problem, though. Where else for me to leverage that? Someone else in this market had to be a viable competitor to WHO radio. Otherwise, they were like, yeah, we may not be able to find somebody as good as you, which is why we put up with your act. (laughs) We put up with your divisive act because we may not be able to find someone as good as you, but we'll go get somebody else if you leave. And maybe they'll bill 1.5 or 1.3 million, but they'll be happy with 85 grand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There was no, there was nothing for me to leverage. The only other jobs that I could leverage against WHO at the time, and there were other, there were, there were stations outside of Des Moines, KDKA and Pittsburgh tried to come to me two different times. There were stations outside of Des Moines that tried to hire me, but my family didn't want to move. And WHO, because our families all did stuff together, they knew my family didn't want to move. <laughs> all right. And so, hey, if going down to the GM's office, another mar- out of market station came and wanted to know what I thought. He's like, dude, it's great to get that recognition. Got any plans this weekend? <laughs> I mean, there was nothing for me to leverage. And I, I didn't take it personally. I understand business. I understood that the cost of me 
wanting to stay here and my family not wanting to move meant that I would not be able to leverage my maximum market price, right? That was just, and because in our family, we viewed the stability more than, the, than making more money per se. So I could never bring any market forces to bear against WHO. I never had any leverage against them. If, if everybody buys in on the scam of lockdowns, we can't leverage the system then. Market, the market has been shut down. So there's, you're in the situation I was in with WHO. You cannot leverage and say, are you sure you want to pay those costs? Well, they're all paying the cost. And if they're all paying the cost, then they're all going to bail themselves out when the cost is done being paid, right? And so we're screwed. And that's what happened because unfortunately, Kim Reynolds is the governor of Iowa and not Texas uh, or Georgia, although the, those governors weren't terrible, particularly the one in Georgia was not. He was good. Um, but Christine Ohm is the governor of South Dakota, not Massachusetts. Kim Reynolds is the governor of Iowa, not New York. And, and so while, because they weren't governors that could bring immense from states that could bring that sort of competitive market force to bear. Until states like Arizona and Texas began and Florida began reopening, we had no point, nowhere to leverage the rest of the system. College football has shown you what would have what the world would have what this country would have looked like. If the Republicans had embraced whole cloth being team reopen all along. That's why you bring Scott Atlas in in March instead yes, of in that's Ju- exactly July. Right. To provide the cover for the Republican Party, the intellectual wherewithal for the Republican Party to justify being the party of reopen because he's smart. He's an expert. He knows the data. Okay. And what happened is the Big Ten Conference believed it was going to make everybody else fold except the SEC. It, the, the Big Ten knew the SEC would hold out to the end, but it, the Big Ten, you know, it, it, it has an elitist sneering condescension that thinks of the SEC like Max Kellerman of the of ESPN does. And eventually thought that once we had the SEC isolated by themselves, even the rednecks down there would not be able to justify playing and they'd quit. It had no idea that the ACC would be like, dude, we got all kinds of elite academic schools, Wake Forest, Duke, Notre Dame, um, North Carolina, Virginia, these are all elite schools. Even the University of Miami, the U, that's a top 50 school in the country. And so the Big Ten thought the ACC was just going to fold and take the high road. And the ACC is like, dude, we just started a TV network last year, and now Notre Dame's going to play in our league, and we're going to get them on our network, Notre Dame, every night, every week. Roll Tide. Even they were <laughs> yeah, so- screw that noise. Anyway, let's go get our own doctors and see what the data says. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, if, now, if their TV network was like 10 years in, they might have been more inclined to play it safe, but it's in year two. And year two is, we got Notre Dame. That's like, do we got, we got, we got the Beatles, man. We got the Stones. No, we're not shutting down this concert. We got the Stones are playing. All right? They got Notre friggin' Dame. They're going to play. And now the Big Ten is isolated. Well, Steve, what about the Pac-12? Nobody cares about the Pac-12. Their fans don't care. They have one school in the whole Pac-12 in the top 20 in attendance, and it's Washington. They have the worst TV network. No one cares about them. Most people don't watch their games. They're irrelevant. And they're in the part of the country that if if the Pac-12 announced it was going to lock down and never play another sport without a vaccine, a lot of their fans would actually applaud, oh, that's a great idea. I think that's prudent. Thanks. And where's my avocado toast? Okay. 
So now the Big Ten is isolated, and you're seeing now as these other leagues just march on. North Carolina State has an outbreak. What do they do? Shut the campus down. Just delay the start of their season by a couple of weeks. Everybody else, life goes on. Now we got players suing the unit, suing the the conference, and the conference is responding in a court of law, saying that transparency would quote do harm to the league. <laughs> I mean, you're, the market forces on the Big Ten right now are extraordinary. The Associated Press came out Monday with its preseason poll, included the Big Ten teams. And then the next day, the college football playoff committee said, we're only doing this once in the fall. If you want in, who's in? We're going. And now now there's going to be a parent protest. This was announced yesterday. Chris Hutchinson, who is an ER doctor at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan, the hardest hit hospital in the state for COVID earlier this year. His, he, he is an all former All-American at Michigan. His son, Aiden, is one of the team's best players. They're organizing a parent protest of the Big Ten on the Michigan campus Labor Day weekend. And this is now we've got FOIA requests and everybody's lawyering up. And then, then the, the coup de grace here is the son of the Big Ten's commissioner is, is playing football right now in the SEC at Mississippi State. I mean, that's TARP-level bad optics. If you tried to write a novel I know. about this, they would get that is way too. Un- no, no one, no one a, would be this dumb. No. no one have this little. This is so one dimensional. No one yes. has this little self awareness. Okay, and then when he was asked about it, he said, "Well, you know, we had some difficult conversations about that as a family, and then ultimately made the call. Why don't the families in the Big Ten Conference get to have that conversation? And right, exactly. I mean, this is so bad. It's like the tarp. It's just this bad, right? Every we all know it's a scam." And that's why we're so mad because there's no way they can even lie to us credibly because we know that we're being scammed in real time out here in full sunlight. And so what you're seeing right now with the announcement today that the Big Ten is now telling its coaches, get ready, we may start this thing late fall. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to call my shot right now. First Big Ten football game is the first Saturday in October. I'm calling my shot right now. Because if they're bending that much, yeah. Ohio State, which is the premier program in the conference, which I hate to say. But sign over my shoulder says truth be told here. <laughs> so I gotta tell the truth. All right, I can't lie, we're in a Captain America t shirt. All right. They're the premier team, man. They're 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 the sun. We're orbiting around them right now in our league. Can't that can't tell a lie. Okay. Ohio State's gonna be like, dude, Thanksgiving weekend, these other leagues are still in their season. If we're going to start there, why aren't we, let's give us a shot to make the playoff then. We're all ready. We've been up here all summer long. We're in shape. The testing is still ongoing. We've got now an FDA approved instant self-contained test for 15 bucks. You've got the saliva test from the NBA. You've got the University of Illinois has created it had a self-contained saliva test too, I believe. Test number, the, the case numbers are plummeting all over the country. I think they've gone down 38% positive tests have gone down just since August 1, I want to say. Just give us a four-week camp starting Labor Day weekend. Four weeks to go in pads, get ready. Let's play 1st of October and play a season in the fall. I think that's what you're going to see. You know, I agree with you. I've, I, I didn't see a way for them not to reverse course on this. This is honestly one of the most one of the worst corporate 
decisions in the history of all of American business. There is no place uh, to hide from them. Can I ask one other football question? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you, if you're the Big Twelve, and remember, we are like, like six or seven years removed from wondering if the Big Twelve was not even going to exist on some I know. level. I know. Aren't you calling up? And I don't know all the legalities. Aren't you calling up conservative or relative Utah, Arizona schools and saying, come on over? I mean, th- wouldn't you? I would think you would. Yeah. I would think you would. Um, I mean, I know that the Arizona schools are, are liberal bastions as well. But in that state and in the proximity, it's not a it's not a reach. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those schools are in your footprint. You bet. Why aren't you calling Colorado? Colorado, well, Colorado, no, Colorado is in a, a a 50-50 blue to red state. It's it's purple. It's so 50-50. Their football coach is like, we want to play. Want, they, of course, have a history with your league, right? Going I'm, back I'm many more years. familiar with Boulder than I am with uh, Tempe. Like, Boulder wishes it was on the West Coast, though. You know, that's... But I, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't call them all. Okay, then you agree with me. Yeah, I, would, that, I, 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 would I would be playing that hard I, I right would, now. I, I would call them all. I would, yeah. I, I don't know what the Pac-12 deals and contracts are because no one cares about the Pac-12. Well, I know not even their fans care. So, but yeah, I agree. And I think this is a lessening. This is this goes back to the conversation we had on Theology Thursday yesterday about capitalism and how it aligns with human nature. See, this is why you want a capitalistic economy. It, it has its, its pitfalls because everything human beings are involved in and touch does because we're not perfect. But the more competition, then the more options we have to right wrongs. See, if they had all shut down, and our te- and and you see the the trend line of this virus plummeting in America as we speak, they're right now in the NFL. Eighty players on thirty-two teams. So what is that? What's thirty-two times eighty? So it's over three thousand, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's over three thousand players through this until this weekend when they start doing cuts. Over three thousand players on on NFL rosters as we stand right now. Do you guys know how many of those players are on the COVID exempt list? Meaning they're 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 off their team because of a positive positive COVID test with symptoms that's been confirmed. Out of over three thousand, you guys know how many it is? It's a pittance. Right? One. There's one player on the NFL COVID list right now. One. And they're not in a full-time bubble. Those guys go home or back to hotels at night because there's too many of them. You can't sequester them all. The coaching staffs are too big. They're hitting right now. They're swapping spit. They're fully immersed, full pads, in camp. They're scrimmaging because they're not playing preseason games. One player right now in the NFL on the COVID watch list. One. One. Now, if all the leagues had quit... As the numbers continue to plummet, we wouldn't have the ability to leverage and pressure the system because they'd all be able to protect each other because they all collapsed the market together, right? So therefore, there's really not a lot of market forces to bear without a what? Without a market. Without a market, it's hard to bring market forces to bear. There was, so back to my WHO situation, there was no market for Steve Dace because the market I was only willing to work in at that time was in Des Moines. There was a market for Steve Dace if I was willing to go outside of that market, but I wanted to work in this market. And I worked for the number one, number two, three, four, five, six radio station in that market. No one could compete with them. So that meant there was no one that could vie for my services to, to for me to leverage that value. 
If every conference had stopped playing, then it wouldn't matter what the testing numbers were, the case numbers were. Maybe we could have gotten them to play in the spring, but there's no way you'd be watching college football this fall because they all had covered their backsides. But the fact that not everybody did do that meant that now we have a market. And now we can leverage influence within that market to get the outcome that we want. That's what capitalism helps us to do. That's what free markets help us to do. The good news here is that markets still work. Did I say markets were perfect? No. Did I say markets were virtuous? No. Did I say markets were idealistic? No. But they do work. And sometimes in an imperfect world east of Eden, workability is sometimes the best we can get. The, the problem we have in our country is we're shutting markets down. Education's not a market. Healthcare is not a market. There's like no competition in these markets. And by the way, they're two of the, you know what the largest industry in America, the two largest industries in America are energy and education. <laughs> Whereas the least amount of competition, which, 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 which industries have some of the least amount of competition, the most regulatory command economy? Energy and education. How much better would they be if there was competition, real competition? We don't have that. And to prove your point, Nebraska, probably not a, a fine school, but in terms of its academic footprint and probably ranking, the lowest rated probably academic the lowest school in the Big, at the Big Ten. Ten. And yeah. also in terms of if it is a traditional football blue blood, but its status is nowhere near what it once was. But Nebraska has lost at least four games yes, every season yes. since 2001. But that school has been pure Americana for yeah. the last... It understood what Steve's talking about. It understood the market. It said, what in the hell are we doing it? It has been driving the ship in all of this while while Michigan and Wisconsin have all been sitting on biting their nails what do we do god bless nebraska and it's gotten all kinds of resentment here from the iowa bros who absolutely resent nebraska man it, it, iowa football fans nebraska needs to be your moral wingman for the rest of your life for what they've been doing the last month all right let's get to some feedback friday i want to start with this note that's well said todd this is from Ashley Slater. Greetings from Minnesota. I'm a married 36-year-old with three daughters. My dad recently sent me your podcast, and I've been listening nonstop ever since. It's such a breath of fresh air to get straight-up facts about current events. Prior to the lockdown, the political views my husband and I held were not what they are now. When I view this situation and how even my ideals have changed, I want to pat myself on the back, feeling like I've learned a lot during this time and have made changes that I'm proud of. The same cannot be said for many of the younger people around me, as well as some of the older folks. Nearly all of my close family members are in line with the way my husband and I feel regards to the COVID BS and the overreach of power and control placed upon us. I'd say we've only had one member of our immediate family on the fence, and I believe she could be persuaded with more facts and change her mind. But... Maybe that would happen once this all blows over and it's not in her face at work all the time because like a lot of people, she feels like she needs to toe the company line. 
I used to really cheer for Bernie Sanders. I thought the idea of health insurance for all was the best idea ever. I thought this even, well, he wasn't advocating for health insurance for all, but I know what you mean. I thought this, uh, even though I'd seen in other countries how friends of mine have had to wait for important surgeries for months or years if it's not life-threatening. Mothers with prolapsed organs after delivery who can't control their bowels have needed to wait and wait and wait, and that's not right just to suffer like that. So although I've heard these anecdotes and, and knew about situations like this, I truly believed healthcare for all would be wonderful. I felt that equality above else was where we needed to be. But now since COVID happened and firsthand I've witnessed how far we are being pushed down by the far left and our own governor, I see that being taken care of like that only means we as a people lose control and lose our freedom. It was a major light bulb that went on for me. It sometimes frightens me how blind so many people are to what's going on right now. And I'm so frustrated by the adult teachers whining about how dangerous it is to go back to school. I've seen some teachers glorify the idea that it will be sad to see a yearbook page dedicated to the teachers who died of COVID. What is to be said for the teens and other young adults choosing to work right now? Those choosing not to be dependent on government handouts says a lot. We all need to get back to life now and back to work. Quick story before I end this note. I was at Target near the beginning of the lockdown. I was in the aisle looking for some uh, uh, some medicine. This older woman next to me knelt beside me to find some foot cream, and she said, I'll be out of your way shortly. I looked at her, both of us not wearing masks, and said, I'm not worried about it. She exclaimed, me either. Why live in fear? Why live in fear indeed, Steve? It's really that simple. It is but it's not easy. That's not to say there's never a time we don't need to wear masks. There may never be a virus that the mask couldn't help us with or something else that goes on with our climate or our health. The mask isn't the issue. Like the gun isn't the issue. It's about the wielder. The masks for this virus do not work. That's the, that's the data. They don't work. So therefore, it's being wielded as an instrument and tool of control or fear or fear and control, depending on which order you would like to place it in. But the mask isn't your enemy. The mask can be wielded for good. And maybe you're a person that says, I kind of know it doesn't work, but I'm going to wear it. I saw, I heard a sports show, Rick Neuheisel, the old Colorado and UCLA coach said this this morning. Hey, I know the research that the masks really don't work. I just wear one when I go around because I just, you know, I want people to feel like they're safe and comfortable around me. Okay, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but I don't think he's the worst person in the world and hates America, but he's sure. being honest with himself, you yeah. know? Hey, we're in a scary time. I want to put people at ease as much as I can. Okay, cool. I, I'm not going to fight you on that, but they don't work. And so, except for the rare exceptions, they're wielded as tools of control and fear. That's why we push back on them on this show. If they worked, I'd be pushing yeah. you to wear them. <laughs> you, if you haven't learned that about me by now, then you, I know a lot of you love me right now. Trust me, there will soon come a time. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Well, that may not be true. All right. Because if the masks worked, I'd be doing, I'd have done this show in a mask for the last six months and said, give me my country back. Put on your damn mask. They don't work. I wish they did. Would have made this so much simpler, but they don't. It's the gratitude you hear in that letter for th just thank you for 
being honest with me, leveling mm-hmm. with me, help me to see. You two need to hear this story really briefly because it happened to me this weekend. It would have happened to either one of you if you were sitting in the same chair. I'm sitting in this t- soccer tournament and we're between games, just in the air conditioning inside this building. And I'm with my daughter, another player, and a couple other parents. And this woman, Cedar Rapids, I, I can't remember your name, comes up to me and she just, are, are you Todd Erzin? And she said, my husband didn't think I was going to come up to talk to you. He just had to. And she just said, thank you. I'm a big fan of your show. I was even before COVID, but you, I, I would have gone insane without you guys during COVID. And everybody at the table is kind of looking at me like, whoa, dude, because they n- kind of know what I do. But even my daughter, they, and she was just like, she was so grateful. Mm-hmm. And it was to all three of us, mm-hmm. just like I, we needed somebody to say it. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, and, and that's why I wanted to share Ashley's note. That the truth does still work. Yeah. It does. It goes back to the conversation we just had about markets still work. But you have to say it again yes. and again. Yes. I have to repeat myself a lot more times than I ever thought, and that's where I get discouraged. I'm like, how? How many more times, Lord? And then I got to remember that every single day he looks at me and says, yeah. how many more times, Steve? How many more times? times seven. <laughs> Right. But it does still work. It just takes a little bit longer to work in our day and age than it has in some others, but it still works. All right. When we come back, some people with some personal anecdotes about what lockdown and COVID have done in their lives. We're going to share some of those in a moment. So how did we turn the supplement industry into one of the most lucrative in the world? Well, because we learned the hard way that a lot of the things we need the most out of our food every day, the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, think of all the digestive issues we have today, uh, the food allergies today. Uh, That's where the loss of those prebiotics and probiotics comes into play as well. A lot of the stuff that's the healthiest for us is taken out of our food. Because a lot of what gets made is for mass production, you know, restaurant chains, store chains, et cetera. And so we've got to put that stuff back in. And so we go out and buy supplements to do that. Same thing happens with our pet's food as well. A lot of the the, the dog food that uh, your pet loves, especially like that dry kibble stuff, it's been sterilized of all of those vitamins and nutrients at the same exact time for the same reasons. That's where Rough Greens VitaSmart comes in and wants to put all that good stuff back in. And apparently it makes the, the food your dog thinks tastes good, taste even gooder, better, taste even better. It's not a dog food. It's a powder you put on your pet's food. You mix it in. Our dog, Cap, loves the taste of this stuff. And better yet, it puts all the healthy good stuff that he needs right back into his food. You can try it right now for just $14.95. See if you don't see the difference in your dog in 14 days or less at roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. I want to share a few emails from the, uh, the Forgotten American. The American that has been overlooked during these lockdowns, not listened to, not really even acknowledged. And a few of you have emailed me your stories recently. I want to share some of these here on Feedback Friday. This is from Mary. Um, 
she writes, it has been exceedingly painful. Oh, crap. I lost my place. Sorry, guys. Give me a second. All right, here it is. This is from Fisher. My dad has been held hostage in Washington State since March. He lives in a retirement community, not a nursing home. They've had him on lockdown since March. He has served uh, food and his meals in his room, but he's not allowed visitors, only allowed to go outside with permission. And I think this is beyond cruel, in my opinion. His home is on the Olympic Peninsula, which is basically isolated. I talked to him today. He still does not know when this will end. He will be 101 tomorrow. And my brother was going to come see him for his birthday. He called the facility, was told he couldn't visit our dad. None of us can. This has got to stop. Phil writes, my mother is 83 and she has dementia. Before all this started, she had a routine at her church, which if you know people that are struggling with cognitive routine is good. Okay. The repetition is good. Uh, helps their recall. Uh, before all this started, she had a routine at her church, making soup on Mondays for the homeless. Tuesday was lunch with her choir ladies. Thursday was choir practice and then church on Sunday. It's been so long since she's done any of this. She now doesn't remember her church at all. Nobody in government cares about the lost people of this witch hunt. That is from Phil. Then there's this note from Sherry. I lost my husband of 35 years in May. Sounds like a long time, but I'm only 57. We got married young. I thought I was a strong person, but the grieving process in this COVID environment has been the loneliest I've ever been in my life. My husband had congestive heart failure for many years. He took a turn for the worse in February, was hospitalized on four separate occasions. I stayed by his side for the first two, but the last two were the hardest. The COVID scare was rampant. I couldn't be with him. I dropped him off at the ER and picked him up four days later at discharge. Face-to-face conversations with doctors and nurses were critical for gauging his condition. I could no longer pull them aside in the hallway for candid conversations. His health declined rapidly. I made the decision there would be no more hospital visits if I couldn't be there with him. I didn't want him dying in the hospital alone. He agreed to home hospice and passed away two weeks later with me at his side. I was numb at first. Family and neighbors dropped off their condolences with masks at a safe distance, of course. The reality of the COVID environment hit hard. The funeral home would only allow 10 people at the service, including the pastor. My husband and I had several families, family and friends. I wanted to honor his memory by having all of them there. Our pastor agreed to have the service at the church, but was restricted to 10 people per room. We arranged to use several of the breakout rooms with a video feed. I also arranged to have the reception at the house so there would be no mandatory COVID restrictions, but I would remain sensitive to those who needed masks and social distancing. We anticipated approximately 150 to 200 people. Fortunately, our governor lifted the 10-person mandate a few hours or a few days before the service. It was the day of the funeral, though, and only 35 people showed up. I received lots of cards, flowers, words of condolence beforehand. I later found out that most were spooked by the virus. They chose to stay away 
to be on the safe side. Do you know how hard it is to grieve, Steve, without a consoling hug, without an open church, without a neighbor, friend, or family member dropping by to see how you're doing? I get lots of text messages, phone calls, and text and, te- and FaceTime, but it's not the same as human contact. I'm so along, so I'm so alone. I really, really need a hug right now. I need human contact. I wake up every morning, I turn on my computer, I interact virtually with coworkers throughout the day. I shut my work computer down at the end of the day and turn on my personal computer to have more virtual conversations. No human contact. I'm lonely and sad. The grief has become unbearable even with my strong faith in God. I know this sounds selfish, but I feel cheated in my grieving process. It's not selfish at all, actually. My husband and I seldom drank during our marriage, but sadly I found some solace there. The alcohol numbs the sadness. I've cried myself to sleep on numerous occasions. What hurts so much is that this whole COVID thing is overhyped. I felt that way from the beginning, but there are so many in my circle of friends and family who have bought into the hysteria. Although I don't express my position with them, most volunteer the talking points of the day and how there is little hope in sight. I just can't talk to them anymore, so where do I turn? I did make an appointment with a grief counselor today, but guess what? Those sessions have to be virtual. The irony of this is not lost on me. I'm willing to ex- I'm writing to express my gratitude that you're one of the few voices telling the truth. I am but one of hundreds of stories of how COVID has turned our lives upside down. I just want this all to be over, and I never want to see another mask outside a medical facility or hear the term social distancing ever again. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, it just, it puts a human story, a real human story, on everything we have been trying to do for the last six months of this show. Because of people like you, Sherry. In a few months, they're gonna they're gonna tell you that excess deaths in America are bad, and they're gonna try to make the claim that it's because of how many people died of COVID, even though excess deaths in America aren't bad right now. They're kind of really on par with where we've been, but they're gonna get they're gonna get worse in a few months. You know why they're gonna get worse? Because of the people that didn't get a cancer screening on that lump on their breasts or on their man parts or or didn't get their prostate checked. People that didn't get screened for hypertension, heart disease. Our heart attack numbers are way down across the country. We didn't cure heart attacks, guys. They're just going to come later now. And maybe those are people that could have been saved. Maybe that lump in your breast was operable. Now it's not. And then there's the depressions. Was it the UK that found this week that they believe when they get done totaling their excess death, it's basically going to be one-to-one death by lockdown, death by COVID. Was it the UK that had that? I think it was. I think so. I think, it, I think we had that on Tuesday, right? 
That was the interview that their infectious disease expert right. advising Boris Johnson said. He thought it was going to be one to one at the in the end. You know, we said this a lot over the last few months. We're more than a survival rate. Love knows no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. I mean, we exalt those who sacrifice their lives for others. Because it's in that sacrifice that your life is giving its ultimate meaning. Its ultimate purpose. And you're being denied that, Sherry. And you're not alone. And you haven't been listened to this entire time. And that's why this isn't just the dumbest and most moronic management decision in the history of this government and maybe any human government because we didn't do it alone. It's among the most immoral. It, it reduced us to a statistic. We're just a survival, right? You didn't even give people the opportunity to make dignified decisions. That's right. They all, not all of them would have made that, but you didn't give them the opportunity. All for a virus that, unless you're within one year of a comorbidity, there's better odds you're drowning in a lake or dying in a car accident than of this virus. I mean, the irony of it's not safe to wear a mask and go visit your loved one in a hospital, but you should wear a mask outside in the heat while sweating. It works there. It, it doesn't work to be safe in the most sterile environment we have in the general population in America, the hospital. It doesn't work there, and so your loved ones are left alone. But it works just fine if you're out in the heat of August wearing it outdoors. That's where it works that defies common sense. And if there's anything the last six months have done, it is defy common sense. Just heartbreaking. Camille writes, lately I've noticed people in my generation, I'm almost 25, believe that they are, in fact, their own God. This is so disturbing, and I think it's the root of progressive ideology in the problem with our current culture. There's no humility, no yearning for truth or righteousness, but rather, I decided, so therefore, it's true. This obviously creates an entitled culture. I can't stand it any longer, so I'm unashamed. So I am unashamed of my beliefs, and I'll challenge anyone who pushes false narratives, thanks to you guys and your show. I reject the masks that have been mandated even in parks in my county. You always say, Todd, what are you willing to do? Well, I put the cross and the flag on my back and I'll carry the weight of both, even if I have to, alone. A lot of you have emailed me, can you give us a plan? No, because there isn't a plan. There's just a word. No. No. That's your plan. The plan is 
you're going to say no. <laughs> That's the plan. Okay, you're just going to say no. That's the plan. I mean, if we're not willing to say no, then there's no point in having a plan, right? Yeah. If you're not willing to say no, then you're just planning for another way to say yes. <laughs> That's what your plan is. Another another way to say yes. The answer is no. No, we're not doing that. Nope. I'm not doing that, but thanks. Now, I, I think... I think we need to make sure the occasion justifies saying no. Inconvenience. Inconvenience is, in my view, if we're applying just war theory to a culture war, being inconvenienced and annoyed isn't justification for launching an attack. Being put in a position where people believe that they can use their fear to control you or your fear to let them control you. That is. But being inconvenienced, annoyed, not one. I had a conversation with my buddy last night. He's upset at his church. And Des Moines proper, not where we live or operate, but Des Moines proper is putting in a mask mandate. Now it's got 15 exemptions when you read it. And one of them is religious observance. Okay. And he's upset his church is in Des Moines proper and he's upset that um, they're offering masks starting this Sunday because of the city ordinance and they have posted the city ordinance. But they're letting it be known within the church they're not going to enforce this. And so we were having a conversation last night about whether this was, you know, a, a time to go to war. And I think he was surprised that my answer, I didn't think it was. If they're not going to enforce it, I don't, I don't see why it's a need to... To me, they're just kind of saying, hey, this is what Caesar wants, but if you want one, you can have it, but we're not doing it. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I viewed it. But he was concerned that it was a step in that direction. And I said, well, then you should go ahead then and raise a stink now so that it doesn't come up later on if you want to do that. But I think, I think we have to be judicious about this. We're not anarchists, okay? Our God is a God of order. So we say no when it's his order that is threatened, not our own. Know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When his order is threatened is when we say no, not when ours is. That's an annoyance. Maybe maybe even a justifiable one. I don't know about you guys. I get about 10,000 annoyances that I can justify. <laughs> All right. So is it is it a disruption of our order or his? If it's a disruption of his order, the answer is no. If it's a disruption of our order, we seek accommodation if it's possible. Hey, thanks for tuning in here today, this week. We're going to stick around and do some overtime for the rest of you. See you on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.